Welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it up. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, Romans 8. If you don't have a traditional Bible and you'd like one and you're comfortable, just raise your hand. One of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or keep it. It's our gift to you. You can also take your smart device and open up the YouVersion app, or it's also called the Bible app, and all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded. And we'll put the scriptures and slides on the screen behind us just to make it as easy as possible. If you're watching us online or at one of our other gatherings, I love you. And I am so glad that you guys are a part of this community, this community that Pastor Sonny talked about that is so, uh, it's expanding and it's growing and people are gathering toward us in different cities and, and in different countries. And, and just, uh, we've spoken in uh, Toronto a couple of times in the last month. Uh, but one of the things that we were able to do is, uh, many of you know that we have recently, outside of Life Church, we have opened a retreat center in North Carolina, really for hurting people. And we had our first two retreats within the last month, and people came from uh, all over the country, and a couple of people from Canada. And we got the opportunity and uh, had Pastor Becky and Pastor Barry come out and help put these people uh, through Journey to Wholeness, and to, and to be able to listen to some of the stories that some of these people have had, the stories of hurt and shame and pain and rejection and, you know, a woman who, whose husband divorced her, left her with nothing, committed suicide. And now she's not only dealing with the grief of having to deal with rejection, but she's also having to deal with the grief of losing uh, what was the love of her life and the tears and the, and the hurt that we've been able to sit across the table and, and listen to people. And it's, uh, it's heavy. It's, it's heavy when you, uh, when you help carry someone else's burden. Uh, it's even more heavy when you don't allow someone to do that. It's why the Bible said, cast all your cares upon him because, because he cares for you. Because stories, we, we all have a story, and, and they often speak of the summit of our lives. A summit is the climb. <clears throat> when climbers summit somewhere, it is the, it's the challenge of going from point A to point B. And our stories talk of the summits of our lives. Our lives are filled with peaks and pains, victories and valleys. But if you're anything like me, doesn't it feel like the whole world is against you at times? <laughs> like, like everywhere you turn, it's a struggle. Like no matter what you say or do, someone's against you, trying to bring you down. Like, like you ever feel like no one wants you to win and everyone wants you to lose? Like no one wants you to succeed and everyone wants you to fail. Like you, you ever feel like life is, is such a struggle? Like you're surrounded by opposition. I don't know if you've ever been to Colorado, but it's incredible. The mountains are stunning. And there's a group of mountains that the locals call 14ers. And they call them that because the peak is at least 
14,000 feet high. And at that elevation, your perspective is changed. You, you get a clearer, unobstructed, 360-degree view. And for experienced climbers, a, a 14er is generally considered an attainable summit. It, it's not easy, but it is attainable. And the reward that's on the other side of the effort of that climb makes the struggle worthwhile. I mean, people summit 14ers all the time. Every day, people are summiting 14ers. Spiritually, the scriptures are filled with 14ers. Concepts that aren't easy, but they are attainable. That when achieved, will change your perspective, will give you a clearer view of God and of yourself. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That is a 14er. The Great Commission, uh, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in Jesus' name, 14er. The golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That's a 14er in every religion in the world. This book is filled with 14ers. Uh, but there's one particular place in scripture that's less like a 14er and more like Mount Everest. It is the summit of all summits, a climb so challenging, few people can even imagine reaching the peak. It's found in Romans chapter eight. I want you to listen to this. It starts with such a well-known scripture. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore, comma, now no condemnation. No condemnation. If you, if you had an old school Bible, like if it was back in the day when we were coming up in church, if you had an old school Bible and a pen and a highlighter, you'll highlight that part. You'll circle that part. You'll underline that part in red. Talking about no, you'd, you'd underline them separately. No condemnation. And I want you to remember those two words because no condemnation is both the base camp and it is the summit. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he spends 15 verses talking about the difference between living by the flesh and living by the spirit. And in verse 16 and 17, he says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit, the spirit. This is what Pastor Shani is talking about. The spirit himself. This is what Dr. Griffin spoke about a few weeks ago. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we're his children, then we're his heirs. We are heirs of God and we are co-heirs with Jesus. And, and we share in Jesus' suffering so that we may also share in his glory. There is no sharing in his glory without sharing in suffering. There is no hack to that. There is no cheat code to that. He, he says, if we, sh we share in his sufferings, so that we may also share in his glory. And then he spends 10 verses talking about suffering or talking about opposition. Then in verse 28, he says, and we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that his son might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those who he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. And then in verse 31, he makes this really cool shift. And he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? What things? To, to us being called, to us being justified, and us being glorified. What then shall we say about these things? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, he, he will also graciously give us all things. Who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. And so because it is God who justifies, who is the one who can condemn? He says, no one. Jesus, who died, but more importantly, was raised from the dead, is at the right hand of God interceding for us. And that word interceding, that is more than praying. It means praying prayers of groanings, that, that he is fighting in prayer for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword? Paul says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present nor the future, not any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So with that robust portion of scripture serving as the backdrop and longest introduction in the history of introductions, I'd like to propose to you today, your opposition is actually your opportunity. Let's pray. God, we love you. This is the day that you have made. And so we will rejoice and we will be glad in it. God, no matter what this day brings, no matter what this day shows, we will rejoice and we will be glad in it. And so today I pray for my friends in this place that our hearts and our minds will be open, that our hearts and our minds would be changed. But God, as we fight, as we wrestle that your word promises we will, we will never forget that in the end, the last page says we win. So change our hearts and change our minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when Igor Sikorsky was 12 years old, his parents told him that competent authorities had already proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that human flight was impossible. Sikorsky responded to that opposition by going on to build the very first helicopter. In his factory, he posted a sign that read this. According to recognized aerotechnical tests, the bumblebee cannot fly because of the shape and the weight of his body in relation to the total wing area. The bumblebee does not know this. So he goes ahead and he flies anyway. <laughs> I wonder what are you entirely capable of doing that you're not doing simply because someone told you you couldn't. Simply because of opposition. Is it having a great marriage? Beating addiction? Living in abundance? Living in purity? Living in holiness? Like, are you kidding me? You can do all of those things and more. Are you going to let haters, small-minded people limit what it is that you can do, what it is that God can do? Because God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or even imagine. So, you know, small dreamers are always threatened by big doers. Small dreamers are always threatened by big doers. That's why we hate people that do stuff. That's why half the world hates Elon Musk. I don't know nothing about this guy, first of all. So I'm not endorsing Elon Musk. But what I know is what we think is crazy, he thinks is possible. He came out, he said, I'm going to create a car that doesn't use no gas. People are like, ha! He has a whole charging network that nobody else can use because his car is so far superior to every, uh, all the big car, this is just some guy. This was some guy who was like, huh, 
You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create me an electric car. So some guy created a car and a system and the impossible. And then, and then the companies that have been building cars <laughs> for a hundred years, they, they, not only were they not able to invent it, they haven't been able to duplicate it. They recall all their cars because their cars can't do what this guy figured out. He took a napkin. Do you know what I do? I'm gonna create me a car. I think maybe he just hated the smell of gas on his hands. And he said, you know what, man? I'm gonna create me a car that the only problem with it is you gotta figure out where you're gonna stop and get a Diet Coke now because you can't go to a gas station. And people looked at him and they were like, he's crazy. So now he says, I'm gonna take people to the moon. You know what I think? I think he's gonna take people to the moon. I don't know how. I don't know if he's going to get a Greyhound and he's going to put a rocket on it. He's talking about, I'm going to Mars. You know what I'm doing? I'm getting my passport set for space. That's all I'm saying. Why? Because Elon said it. I, I don't know if he's crazy or what, but what I know is that people who are small thinkers will always try to destroy people who are big doers. They'll do everything they can to get you from your level to theirs. And it's the same thing in the spiritual side of things. Whenever you try to accomplish anything significant for Jesus, you are going to face real opposition. But Satan never messes with half-hearted people who are content with an average ho-hum, middle-of-the-road spiritual existence. But as soon as you decide to go all in, look out. Opposition is coming. I see this all the time with people that they like lived a life, they, you know, and then all of a sudden they get saved and everybody in their family wants to hate on them. But it's like, why? Why is it that if I go to Barnes and Noble and I get a self-help book, you don't get mad. If I go and I listen to Tony Robbins, you don't get mad. If I go and I get a part of some name it, claim it kind of prospect pyramid scheme and sell makeup or sell vitamins that don't work, you don't get mad at me. But if I come home and I talk about I gave my life to Jesus, everybody in your family thinks you're a sellout. Everybody in your family's like, whatever, bro. Let's do some shots. Because small thinkers will always try to destroy big doers. And that happens not just in the physical. It happens even more often in the spiritual. And it's, of course, it's going to, the name Satan means adversary. It means opposer. He is committed to opposing both Jesus and all of Jesus's people. It is his nature. Dogs going to bark. Cats going to meow. Haters going to hate. The opposer is going to oppose you. And you're not alone. From the start of this book all the way to the finish, it is filled with opposition. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Abram, Noah, Moses, Joseph, Daniel, David, all these people felt massive opposition. I'm mean, just look at the story of David and Goliath. David was surrounded by opposition. Everyone around him was speaking death over him. You ever feel like everyone around you is speaking death over you? If you don't believe that, be in some families and get a new car. I don't know who Shankton is. Come around here with a new car. 
I don't have a new car. Like, why is it because you're not blessed, somebody else can't be blessed? Why is it because you can't achieve, somebody else can't achieve? Why is, why do you feel, why are we crabs in a bucket? Pulling each other down, trying to make each other small. First Samuel chapter 17 we see Goliath as he intimidates the Jewish army. Then David shows up on the scene and he says, hold up. What is it that's going to be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Now watch this. This is one of my favorite parts in the Bible because David starts cussing. You can read the Bible how you want to read the Bible. But I read the Bible and I go, wait, that doesn't make no sense. So then I think about it and I, and I research it and then they go, oh, he's just like me when I get mad. Because here's what he said. David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? <laughs> I read that as, ah, oh, snap. <laughs> David's about to click. Look out. You better run, Goliath. Because he starts calling people names. David's going to go off. He said, who is this uncircumcised? I feel like he said it with some, some emphasis, too. Who is this uncircumcised? Circumcised. I actually feel like I sound like Sylvester the cat when I say it like that. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? <laughs> now I just wrecked the whole story for everybody in this room. <laughs> like, I didn't even know David had a list. He, he said, Who is this? He put some bass in his voice. You know what I'm saying? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he thinks he can defy the armies of the living God? When are some of us going to get some bass in our voice? Who are they that they think they are going to defy the army of the living God? And so they repeated to David what had been saying to everybody else. And they said, well, this is what's going to be done for the man who kills him. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard him speaking with the men, isn't this just like siblings? Siblings are the closest people. Like you love them and hate them. They're the closest people to you. And you are for, they're like kidnappers. They're like you are forced to live with your siblings. His oldest brother, Eliab, he, was, he, he burned with anger and he asked, why have you even come down here? And then this is something that a sibling would say. And, and, and who did you leave those few sheep you have in the wilderness with? Like, why you got to put my sheep out there about it? Why you got to be ugly? Why you gotta, people here might think I got a thousand sheep and you're going to make me, I already look small. You're going to also make me feel small. Like it's not bad enough that you're going to cuss me out in front of my friend. Like who, oh, but, and where did you leave the few little, little sheep dad gave you? Who'd you leave them with? And then he says, I know how conceited you are. I know how wicked, and this hurts when people who know you say stuff that's not true. He said, I know how wicked you are. I know how conceited you are. You came down here just to watch the battle. His own brother called him wicked. But David said to Saul, let nobody lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you aren't able to go out and fight this Philistine. He, he, you're just a young man. And he's been a warrior since his youth. His own king called him weak. But the Bible says, but David took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. And I read that he chose, he chose five smooth stones. I read that again this week. And I thought, why did he choose five? I mean, first of all, he knew he wasn't going to miss. He knew he wasn't going to miss because David was a trained slinger. And slingers never miss. Which, which brings up the point of slingers. How many were there in that army who also wouldn't have missed? 
Life is filled with people who are capable, but afraid. Anyway, why did he choose five smooth stones? Uh, did he choose one stone for his opponent and four for his opposers? Uh, did he pick up one stone for Goliath? And, and then while he was down there, did he think, you know what, maybe I'll take a couple extra. I'll save these ones for later. Me take one for my brother. Me take one for my king. And let me take a couple just in case someone else wants to run their mouth. I mean, I don't know about all that. I mean, that's why, that's why Sean would have picked up five stones is all I'm saying. I'm pretty sure that's not why David. I mean, I actually know why David picked up five smooth stones. I mean, I couldn't, I could preach a whole message on that, but he picked up five smooth stones because Goliath had four brothers. He wanted to kill the generational curse over Israel, but whatever, that's a whole nother message. Anyway, what I do know is that this week I felt God tell me stones, they're for foes, not for friends. I wonder how many of us are saving stones to use on our friends that we were meant to use on our foe. And notice I didn't say foes, plural, because we only have one foe, and it's not your husband or your wife, your boss or your neighbor. They may be in opposition of you, but they are not your foe. And I find it fascinating how Jesus calls so many people who are in opposition to him, his friend, including his betrayer, when he said, my friend, go ahead and do what you've come for. And so with all that in mind, I want to tell you today two things opposition does. Number one, opposition defines. It it shows us who we really are, who other people really are, and incidentally, opposition shows us who God is. Opposition defines. Number two is opposition refines. It builds strength in us. The, the testing of our faith, it builds endurance. Uh, I had a guy this past week who tried to bring opposition against me. But his actions don't get to determine my actions. His attitude doesn't get to determine my attitude. He thinks he's my foe, but he's really my friend. And he's really my friend because his intentions to remove me from God's blessing just reminded me of God's blessing. Like if God protected me when I was a sinner, why would he protect me now that I'm not? And some of you are like, hold up, did you just say you're not a sinner? Oh yeah, play by exactly what I said. If you were here a few months ago and I talked about these series of messages on identity, too many of us identify as a sinner. But when Jesus came in and he changed me, he says in his word that I am no longer to walk in the identity of my past. I am to walk in the identity of my freedom. Do I sin? Absolutely. Every single day, unfortunately. But because of progressive sanctification on my life, I refuse to identify as something that I am not. I am not dirty anymore. I am not wounded anymore. I am not foul anymore. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind but now I see you might be a sinner, but I'm not. And so if he protected me while I was a sinner, why would he not protect me now that I don't identify in that way? And so what happened is this brother's opposition gave me an opportunity. It gave me an opportunity to love and not hate, to speak life and not death, to extend forgiveness and not seek revenge because stones are meant for foes and not for friends because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And like I said earlier, it is both the base camp and it is the summit. It is the base camp, meaning that when you come to Jesus, you come in with all your stuff. 
You come in with all your problems and all your pain and all your proclivities. You, you come in with your past. You, you come in with, you, you drag some stuff into it. You ever feel like you, like, like you drag some stuff into Jesus and the minute that you get saved, you still keep living in that stuff. And, and, and that's, but Christianity, the base camp of Christianity is that you have to get rid of that guilt. You have to get rid of that shame. You have to get rid of that condemnation that you walked in here with and, and stop identifying in that. We are in an identity crisis in our culture because we are living inside of an identity that the enemy tried to create for us. But you were never created by him. You were corrupted by him, but you were not created by him. You were created by the one and the only, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the great I am, the wonderful, majestic king of kings and lord of lords. And when you live, like I got kids, man. And when my kids try to walk around like they're less than they are, I take offense to that. Yeah. Say, listen, you're a Hennessy. Your parents ever talk like that to you? And man, man, Smith, don't be acting like that. Hey, you better act. The f you get in trouble at school, you say, hey, Hennessy's don't act like that. And then my son will be like, bro, whatever, man. You got kicked out of school three times, man. That is, I go, but we don't act like that now. We used to act like that. <laughs> we used to act like that back in the past, before Jesus. But you, I acted like that pre-Jesus. You don't get to act like that now, now with Jesus. It is the base camp. Living your life in no condemnation, this concept of salvation, is you take these things that you carried in here and, and you set them down. And you say, you know what? I, I don't want to live in that filth anymore. And then you turn your back on those things and you leave them behind. But the summit of Christianity is that you live your life without picking those things back up. Because what the enemy is going to do your whole life is to try to convince you that you need that. You need that substance or you need that pain. That you need to pick that depression back up because he tries to remind you of your past. You know what the past is? The past. You can't go back. You, you can't live life in reverse. I had a guy tell me one time, life is bigger in the windshield than it is in the rearview mirror for a reason. I'm not trying to drive my car like this for the, I don't even trust the screen. Anybody got a screen in their car that got a backup camera? My kids are like, bro, watch the camera. I'm like, that thing is lying. <laughs> That's what old people do. We don't trust technology. Now, if it was a Tesla, I'd trust it because Elon Musk created it. And I'd be like, that joker, he knew before that. Th anyway, so like, I, I don't want to live my life looking that way. I want to live my life looking this way. And so it's a challenge. It's frustrating and it's difficult and it's painful for you to live your life that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because neither death nor life, angels or demons, the present nor the future, not any powers, neither height, not depth, not anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And I understand this idea, this idea of never having to live under condemnation is the summit of all summits. It is so challenging that few people can even imagine reaching the peak. We've had so many people speak death over us. So many people try to kill our dreams. We've faced so much opposition. But can I tell you, you need to become the reflection of what it is you want to be. You, you need to become a reflection of what impacts the surroundings around you. We, we just went to uh, 
we just went to um, uh, medieval times. You ever been? To, you ever been to medieval times? This is it's, it's so busted. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, uh, medieval times is when uh, grown people dress up like they're in medieval times. And those grown people then watch, no, like that's what it, we had some people, I was like, this dude's a frequent flyer. This guy's got a check card that when he comes in, he had a night outfit on. I was like, he must be in the show. Nope, he is getting a beer. I said, like, don't spill that on you, you'll rust. Like he was like the full, the full thing, y'all. And, you know, we were there and we're walking in and yeah, my, my kids, it's their spring break, I had my kids and they had a couple friends with them. And, you know, I've gotten to an age where gravity has taken effect, you know, and I, I kind of, sometimes I walk like this and, and I have a natural gait to me anyway. And like some people are like, man, why do you, why do you strut when you walk? I said, man, I don't strut. It's my hips. I'm just old, bro. I got some old hips. And so I look like I'm Tupac, but really I'm biggie. Like I'm too, too big for my hips. Like it's just. It's too much. And so I was walking in and I kind of had this. I was like, and a guy was there with his family. Gosh, he was hot. Like, he was so handsome. Like, it's like, golly, like this guy. And he was like, you ever see those guys? He looked like he just lifted, like right before his back. He had veins in his arms. His shirt was two sizes too small. He had like the, the perfect amount of facial hair and he was about six four and he was he was standing up like this like he had like the, the good jeans and the good shoes on and and a and a hat like a like a a Dodgers hat that it was like he invented the hat it fit him so perfect and he was standing there with his family and he, he's taking a picture and suddenly I was like that oh hold up player you ain't the only one got some squares. I walk, I walk, try to walk right by him too, like. But in my mind, I was like, gosh, he's so handsome. It's ridiculous. If I, that's what I look like when I close. One, <laughs> one time we walked by this guy who was so good looking. And I said, I said to Pastor Sonny, I said, that's what I look like when I close my eyes. She, she said, me too. <laughs> I was like, hold up. No. So when I walked by a guy, for real, I was like, I got about two inches taller and shoulders got square and my, my belly came in. I wished I would have worn my Spanx that night, but I was like, and I kind of looked at him and he kind of looked at me. He knew I was fake and I knew he wasn't. And I said to my son, he was so built. I said to my son, I go, I bet you that guy's a pro athlete. It changed my demeanor. It changed the way I carried myself. That's what God's called you to. He's called you to put your shoulders back, put your chin out, to walk with some confidence because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. For us to walk in a way that affects the demeanor of the people around us, for us to change the atmosphere of our culture, to become people who people look at and go, gosh, I wanna be like that person. Gosh, I wanna attain what it is that they've attained, not just physically, but spiritually. But there is so much opposition that wants to tell you, remember when you this? Remember when you that? There is so much opposition. But guess what? According to recognized aerotechnical tests, the bumblebee cannot fly because of the shape and the weight of his body in relation to the total wing area. But the bumblebee doesn't know it. 
So he goes ahead and flies anyway. Can I tell you today, y'all need to go ahead and fly anyway because that opposition is just your, your opportunity, not your opponent. What are you entirely capable of doing that you're not simply because someone told you you couldn't? Simply because of opposition. And so I wonder today, what would happen if you stepped out of your failure and into the freedom that you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you? I wonder, will you do that today? Will you close your eyes all across this place? Salvation, it is the base camp. It is where this whole thing begins. It is where we take all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our condemnation, and we lay it at the feet of Jesus. We're gonna give you opportunity to do that today. Salvation biblically really requires two things, confession and profession. Confession that says I've got sin in my life and profession that says I believe Jesus can change that. So I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do both today and here's how. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask for people to do two things. In just a moment with nobody looking around, I'm gonna ask for people who don't have a relationship with Jesus but want one to first in just a moment raise their hand and make eye contact with me once you made eye contact with me you can put your hand down that's your act of confession and then secondly I'm going to say a few lines in a prayer that I'm going to pause and when I pause everyone in here is going to repeat what I said and if you say it and mean it in your heart the Bible says you will be saved so with nobody looking around, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you want one, with nobody looking around, would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thanks. 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 Thank you. Thanks. Anybody else? Once. Okay, I'm going to ask everyone in here to say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I've got sin in my life, but I don't want it anymore. Please take it. Please forgive it. Change me. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye still closed, I wonder if you're here and you'd say, Sean, I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl, but you would say, Sean, I have got some opposition in my life. I don't know where it's coming from, but you do. If you say, Sean, I've got some opposition in my life and I want you to pray for me with nobody looking around, I want you to raise your hand right now. Good night. Come on. Who else? Come on, let's pray for it. Let's break that off of you. Jesus, right now, I pray against the spirit of fear. I pray against the spirit of confusion. God, I pray against the spirit of smallness, anything that would try to make my friends feel like they can't, God, because you said with you, we can. So today, I pray for peace. I pray for power. I pray for confidence, God. I pray that whatever it is that's holding them back will be shattered, broken, cut off right now in the name of Jesus, that they would no longer feel the opposition from the opposer. We bind him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast, Chew On That. The Chew On That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week. Thank you.